values, and tonight is a message that is extremely near and dear to my heart. We're going to talk about contending for revival. I remember as a young man, uh, just newly saved, hearing stories of God moving in power, doing signs, wonders, and miracles, hearing about the healing revival that took place in the United States in the, the late 40s. And then hearing about other revivals, like the Azusa Street Revival, you know, 1906 in Los Angeles. And I remember just that sensation as a, as a new believer of just, man, God is real. He does God-sized things. He, he's, he's not just a fairy tale. Like, there's historical accounts. I remember just that touching me so deeply that there's real history where there's seasons, unmistakable seasons, where God has stepped down and brought power and displayed himself as strong. And I remember just as a young believer, that just going so deep into my heart. And, and just the vision for knowing God that way, it just began to consume me. And uh, it's been about 20 years ago now. There was this season of my life, I, I, uh, I got a hold of this book called God's Generals by a guy by the name of Robert Laird. And I remember I read that book, and it has all these different um, you know, men and women who had, had experienced outpourings of the Holy Spirit, seasons of revival. I remember reading through that book, and it just so gripping my heart. And, I, and I, it just it did something on the inside of me. It sent me into a, a trajectory where I knew that I was going to pursue God until he released revival in my day and in my time. I just knew that this is who I was called to be. And it was interesting because in the next six months, I read like 25 books on revival. I mean, everything I could get my hands on, I just devoured it. And just stories from the first and second great awakening, stories from different people's lives, biographies, you know, John G. Lake, and just different ones, Catherine Kuhlman. I remember reading about Catherine Kuhlman and the healing ministry in the, in the, in the uh, 60s and 70s. And it just made an impression upon me. And so at that time, I said, okay, God, I'm going after this thing. I'm going to seek you until you release revival because I realize there's so much more of you available. You know, there's sort of that thing where you get convicted by the Lord. When you're unsaved, you get convicted. You go, okay, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. I need to get saved. You say yes to his saving power. You get into the kingdom, and then you're kind of like, so now what else is there? Because uh, there's got to be more than just like, I don't cuss anymore. I don't watch R-rated movies, and I don't cheat on my taxes. There's got to be more than that. He's God. And uh, I remember those, those stories just oh, penetrating my heart. So I go, okay, God, I'm going after this thing. I want to see revival. I want to see it in Atlanta. I want to see you move in power. And I remember just setting my heart that direction. And somewhere along the way, I stumble into the idea that you got to do prayer. If you want revival, you got to do prayer. And the Lord was tricking me the whole way. He was using the vision for revival as bait and he caught me and reeled me in through the vision for revival to be a guy that would set up night and day prayer because it became evident to me, if we're gonna have historic revival, we have to have historic prayer. If we want to have 
you know, a massive move of the Spirit, we have to have a massive move of intercession. And it was through that pathway that the Lord got me into to building a, a house of prayer. And so this has been a lifelong pursuit uh, in terms of in, in Christ for me. And it's a heart message of mine. It's one of those deals that, man, I don't need any notes. We can talk about this for hours. But I wanted to make it easy and accessible for you. So I gave you a one-pager front and back with a few key thoughts. This is a value for our house. This is one of the key things that we're after, seeing God move in a breakthrough-style, historic move of the Spirit in our day and in our time. Not just somewhere off somehow, you know, who knows when. I'm asking God to do it in our day and in our time. I resonate with David. He said, I would have fainted unless I believed I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I was, you know, I was touched as I was preparing and, and thinking about this message, how 20 years ago when we, when we would preach on revival, when I would preach on revival, it was like a hot topic in the body of Christ. If you preached on revival, everybody's like, yes, and amen, and just going after it. 20 years later, Revival is a taboo subject. And when you talk about revival, it's like, oh, you're just one of those, huh? You're just one of those crazy guys. You're just like a Pentecostal or something. Probably just shouting in tongues in people's face. And you just think, you know, everything's got to just be all miracles all the time. And you've got no, it's like you've got no foundation or you don't understand society. Listen, I'm a one-trick pony. <laughs> I'm believing God. <laughs> For revival. These, all, these, all these other things that he's given, he's added along the way, but the pony is the same pony. Revival or bust. That's where I live. So, it's a value for me personally. It's a value for my family. It's a value for our house, contending for revival. Let's we'll look at this outline. I'll try to make it past Roman numeral one. I think I took 30 minutes on Roman numeral one, letter A, this morning. Let's try to do better than that. The need for revival is predicated upon the recognition of two things. Number one, there's, that there's been a regression in the spiritual state of the church. And number two, that there's far more available in God than we have and are experiencing. You can't preach revival, you can't believe for revival unless you believe there is a certain level of backsliddenness. If you think that we're as passionate, as fiery, as hungry, and as holy as we've ever been in the church, why would we need revival? But if you recognize that there's a bit of regression that's happened in the church, let's just talk about America. If, you'll, if, if you're able to agree that there's been regression, there's been a backsliding that's happened in the church in America, then you will, you'll recognize we have a need for a front sliding. We have a need for a refreshing, for a recovery of life and a recovery of breath. If you don't agree that there's been a regression, revival seems like a dumb idea. But we're sitting in the midst of a culture that has so impacted many parts of the church to where now the church is agreeing that perversion is okay. The church is changing its stance on holiness 
the church is waffling, it's bending, and it's not bending because of the activity of the Holy Spirit, it's bending because of the pressure of a sin-sick world where it's become not okay to call sin, sin, to call Jesus the only way. Beloved, we are in massive need of revival. You know, I, I, I saw a tweet yesterday or today from Leonard Ravenhill and essentially just said this, revival isn't, uh, you know, a hope for America. It's the only hope for America. He, he wrote that about 50 years ago. And this is where we're at right now. The only thing that can make the wrong things right, well, there's two things. Either Jesus returns or he comes with such manifestation of his power that justice breaks out, salvation breaks out, and all the wrong things are made right by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm believing for that. That's what I'm looking for. But you have to agree that there's been regression or you'll never, you'll never side with the belief that we need revival. And then secondly, this, you have to recognize that there's more of God available than we've, current, than we've had, than we're currently experiencing. I love the presence of the Lord. I'm so grateful for the presence of the Lord that we feel. I'm so thankful for his presence I feel here tonight. But there is more, beloved. Our God is infinite in power. Our God is the God that invited Moses up the mountain. And when Moses interfaced with God for 40 days, his face shined like a spotlight. Now think about this for a minute. Paul, by the Holy Spirit, in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, describes Moses' encounter as no glory compared to what we have available in the new covenant. We don't simply have God on the mountain. We have God on the inside. And the veil of the temple is rent. The Holy Spirit is poured out. Here's the deal. The possibilities, they're limitless. The only boundary we have is what are you willing to believe? Jesus said this way, all things are possible to them that believe. All things. We live in the... In the the season of the miraculous possibility of God, according to your faith, be it unto you. And this is what I want to believe for. I want to believe for God-sized stuff happening in the earth in our day and in our time. And I'm not going to be satisfied until we see it. And, and, and this is what we've got to just, just solidify in our hearts there's more of him available than any of us has ever seen or touched or experienced. And the, the, the sheer fact that there's more should compel our hearts into pursuit of that more. That's it. The fact of the more should draw us to want the more. Now, here's the thing. Listen, I know when you start talking like this, people have all sorts of problems with it. I, I get it. You know, they go, well, brother, what do you mean there's more? You're saying we don't, we don't have everything? We don't have the fullness? Well, yes, we have the fullness of Jesus through the cross, through the resurrection. Yes, we have, we have the, the born-again experience. What, what are you saying? We don't have the fullness of the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? 
Well, yes, there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we, we can experience now, and, and you can experience the infilling and, um, you know, experience the, the gifts of the Spirit and, and speaking with tongues. Well, what are you saying, brother? Aren't you revival now if you've got the fullness of Jesus and the fullness of the Holy Spirit? And I go, there's the personal experience of our encounter with the Lord. But my personal experience is this big compared to what I see of biblical proportions. I've yet to see my shadow healing the sick. I've yet to see my face shine like a spotlight. And what I've heard of in history, I've yet to see where entire nations have been converted by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in times when God came down in a corporate measure and entire nations were swept into the kingdom of God. I've yet to see what happened in Wales in 1904 and 1905, where in six months, 100,000 people were born again, and the salvations were so significant and so profound that they had to retrain the animals that worked in the coal mines. Well, why'd they have to retrain them? Because all the coal miners got saved, and they quit cussing at their animals, And they trained their animals to operate according to cuss words. They had to retrain the animals because the guys got really, really saved. It's in the history, beloved. The jails were shut down. Why? Because the people got saved and they quit committing crimes. So here's my point. I'm grateful for everything God's done. But I'd be a fool if I said that we have everything that's available. There is more. There is more, and the fact of the more should compel our hearts. It should compel our hearts to pursue the more. Amen? All right, let's look at this. When we use the word revival, there's usually two specific ways that we use it, but they're a little different. And I want to just, I want to identify the nuance. I've looked at this for 20 years. One of the ways we use revival is when we see something localized that happens in the church a recovery of life in the church. When the dead you know, bones of religion, they start rattling and God puts life back in them. That's a version of revival. The second version is what we most often talk about though. It's when masses of lost people get saved. Both are revival. There's just different applications and usually there's a bit of crossover in between them. Uh, When we refer to the first and second great awakening in in American history, those are real awakenings. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of unsaved people get, uh, you know, completely converted. Uh, When you read the stories of the first and second great awakening, they'll have these kind of explanations where they'll talk about how the attendance roles in the churches throughout entire states and regions swelled to capacity, doubled and tripled in every church, in every denomination. Why? Because awakening was in the land. It wasn't just isolated one little place. It was, you know, God moving in the earth and thousands upon thousands sweeping into the kingdom. It's what they experienced in the Scottish Hebrides in 48, 1948, the presence of God hits so hard in the Scottish Hebrides, 
people are convicted all across this, this group of islands, this archipelago of islands. They're so convicted and they're so irreligious, many of the people go running and turn themselves into the police. They go, what are you here for? What crime have you committed? They go, well, I don't know of any crime. I just, I, something's wrong and I need, I need something. <laughs> the police would have hundreds of people gathering at the, at, the, at the police station and the people were saying, help me, arrest me, do something because the conviction of the Holy Spirit awakening in the land. I've had, I've had, um, the, I mean, the amazing blessing of the Lord to be a part of two very localized, very contained refreshings uh, of the church. Uh, you know, one we experienced here in, in 2010, we had a thousand healings in a 10-month period of time, a thousand testimonies of healing. Everything from the hangnail to cancer was getting healed in our midst. Just, I mean, nightly God was doing it. And when I was a youth pastor, we experienced a very similar style, refreshing. Now, that one had a lot more conversions. We had 600 salvations in a six-month period of time. And I'll just tell you, when you experience those style of, of, of refreshings and outpourings of the Holy Spirit, you get ruined for church as usual. I'm so grateful for, the, for everything that God does in our services and in all the services, all the churches, all of them. I'm so grateful for salvation. I'm so grateful for all the things God does. But guys, there's just something different when you have from, from having a good service to having God. God. And I, I, I remember I remember this one night. I was, I was working with uh, uh, the guy that was our young adult pastor. He's actually a pastor of a new church plant right over here, um, Discover Life Church, Nathan Camp. We were working together, and God had poured out his spirit in our youth and young adults. And uh, I remember he came to me. He said, you know what? I felt like the Lord spoke to me tonight. This is before our service we were getting ready to have. And he said, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, uh, that, that phrase that Wesley uh, uh, Finney talked about, he said, if I had, Finney had said this, he goes, uh, if I had had a sword in both hands, I couldn't cut them down out of their chairs as fast as they fell. Because what happened was while Finney was speaking, the power of God hit the room and people were falling out of their chairs. They were getting hit by the power of the Holy Spirit and falling left and right all over the place. And, and my buddy, Nathan, he said, you know, the Lord spoke to me that phrase tonight. It's just in my mind because I feel like the Lord's saying he's going to do that tonight. And I just thought, you know, uh, that's nice. I'm sure, I don't know what that means, but that's, that's sweet. And we go in the service, and it's actually a little dry, a little dull, and it's like in the middle, it's right in the middle of this refreshing we're experiencing in our youth group. There's, there's several, hundred young, uh, several hundred youth and young adults in the room, 300 or something. And the power of God hits the room. It's like this, in one second, I'll never, never forget this night, there's a woman sitting on my right, right about where you are, and boom, the power of God hits her. She goes flying out of her chair. And I, I looked at that. I went, oh, my goodness. I, I mean, just, she just goes airborne, spins around, and falls out. <laughs> no one's touched her. I, I didn't say God's going to start cutting people down. I was like in the back of my mind. I didn't say any of that. I just, I'm standing there reading Ezekiel 1. Boom. Boom. 
feel the heat of God hit the room. I, I, it starts getting hot. I start bending. I feel presence hitting me. I look around the room and boom, boom, boom. People start popping out of their, they start popping out of their chairs like popcorn. I know it sounds hilarious. It was the scariest thing I've ever seen. I, I'm, co- I'm completely not in control of the room. The Holy Spirit is taking uh, ownership. I looked at the microphone that was in my hand. I was scared to say anything because I didn't want to mess anything up. I said, guys, God's here. If I were you, I wouldn't miss out. And I literally, this is what I do. I put the microphone down and I walk off the stage because I wasn't going to get in the way of whatever God was doing. Within five minutes, 100 people have been shot out of their chairs. And I walk over. I look at this young man. I remember he's sitting in the back. I walk over to him. And I just knew, just the spirit of the Lord. This is what it's like when God steps down. I just knew he wasn't saved. And I just walked over to him. I said, do you know the Lord? He goes, no. I go, you need to get saved, don't you? He goes, yes. I go, do you want to give your life to Jesus right now? He goes, yes. Just like that. See, there's a massive difference in that then three fast, three slow, and man, that's a good word, brother. I appreciate you guys when you encourage me, good word, brother. But see, I've had the services where I had to get out of the way because I was afraid about what was about to happen because God moved in so powerfully. And I know God wants good words. I know he does. He wants us to get trained, and he wants us to love the process, but there's so much more, guys. There's so much more. So I've only seen, and that is a very localized, very, very controlled, small-scale environment. But here's my point. If he could do it in a room, he could do it in a city. He's infinite. What's 50 miles and, and 50 feet? What's the difference to God? Zero point zero, no difference. He can completely do that style of presence across an entire region. He can do it across the nation. Can a nation be born in a day? It can be, because God is powerful. According to your faith, be it unto you. And so for me, this is just where we have to head, where we got to go. Now look, uh, under C, the closest English word that we have in the New Testament for uh, uh, revival is refreshing. It's, it's used in Acts three nineteen, And that Greek word is this word, anapsuxis. I love that word. I don't know why I love it. I guess I love it because it's the revival word. I love it how it sounds. I like how it rolls off the tongue, anapsuxis. If you want to sound theological, try that one at lunch tomorrow, anapsuxis. I just believe God wants to move in anapsuxis. It means a recovery of breath. That which has lost breath, anapsuxis. Breath is recovered, revival. It's the closest word we have for revival, Acts 3.19. He says, repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing, refreshing is anapsuxis, it may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before. Times of anapsuxis, refreshing, recovery of breath. Here's the deal. It's critical to understand this. When you're thinking about the biblical frameworks for revival, Acts 3.19 gives us some clear tracks There are times. That word times, it's kairos. 
It means appointed times. It's like this. God has a calendar, and he's already set out the dates by which he wants to release the recovery of breath. He wants to release the refreshing. There are times of refreshing in the calendar of the Lord. And what's interesting is it rolls into verse 20, into verse 20 which then he says, that he, that he may send Jesus Christ. Here's my point. In God's calendar, he has this, he's got this plan. There's a playbook. And it's times and times and times and times. All these appointed times of refreshing unto the return of the Lord Jesus. This is one of the key things he's doing in this age. He's hallmarked times where he's going to move in power and release refreshing unto what will be a global outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is identified in Acts chapter 2. He says, in the last days, he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. That will be the grandest scale revival the planet has ever seen. Beloved, that is a day in our future. And moving toward that day, there will be times of refreshing. These kairos moments, these appointed times by God where he moves in power and he brings life to the dead bones, to the dry bones. And then there's coming that day, I like to call it the big R. (laughs) When he pours out his spirit on all flesh and every human being on the planet recognizes God is moving. Now they may not all submit to his moving, but they will all recognize that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me ask you this question. Is it okay that unreached people groups know the names of U.S. presidents, but they don't know the name of Jesus? Is that all right? Think that through for a minute. They know the names of fallen humans. Humans with human titles. They do not know the name of our king. I was doing that testimony earlier about one of our missionaries who just got back from China. And he said, that thing you said about how in unreached areas they actually know the name of our president. He goes, they do. They know the name of our president four miles out in, in, in rural China. They know the name of our president, but they don't know the name of Jesus. Beloved, we have to believe for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, times of refreshing unto the big R where every person on the planet has recognition, at least recognition of the Holy Spirit's activity in their midst. This is where it's going. 
I don't know what the agenda is for anyone else in the body, but the, the scripture tells me this. It's going to the big R, that there's times of refreshing on the way, and it's going towards the global outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is where I want to calibrate my personal trajectory and the trajectory of our community, that we're heading towards times of refreshing and the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh. This is it. This is the headline that I'm, I'm, I'm allowing to give us a governance, to, to, to give us a, as a rudder, to point us in the right direction, help plumb line us. There's this massive outpouring that's coming prior to the day of the Lord. It's the mercy stroke of God. Let me just read the, uh, the Acts 2 again. Just let the words r- roll over your heart. It's Joel's prophecy. Peter's quoting it on the day of Pentecost. And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God, that I will pour out my spirit On all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's the deal. There's a sovereign element of every outpouring of the Holy Spirit unless God says there is no revival. That's just how it is. He's God. But there's also this deal where he partners with human hearts. And when we make intercession and we ask him to be God in our midst, he is attentive to our cries. His ear is open to the prayer of the righteous. And he wants to be merciful on our behalf. Here's how it works. When you see a nation in debauchery, when you see sin flooding the society, when you see the church losing her nerve, Ask him for mercy because he's got a string attached to his heart called mercy. When his bride asks him, Lord, in wrath, we know we deserve judgment. Remember mercy. And when we stroke that string in the heart of God, that mercy string, he's willing to move at our cry. His name is mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's just looking for people who will partner with him in that pursuit. He longs to be merciful to us. And revival is a mercy stroke before the judgment to come. That's why there's a massive outpouring coming before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Because he wants to sweep as many people into the kingdom as possible. And a massive harvest of the nations before the day of reckoning. Beloved, this is who we have to be, a people contending and pursuing unto that end. There's that sovereign element, but there's that readying of our own hearts. There's that positioning of ourselves so that we can connect with God's desire in those seasons. And and I've preached this this message about how how to... Give yourself to, to be ready so many times in my life. I don't need any notes, but I've identified three key pursuits. I'm just going to give them to you. I know we're ready for the altar call now. That's okay. Let me just give you these. Three H's. Scratches the preacher inch in me. Hunger, holiness, and humility. 
This is how we want to position ourselves. It's a value. Hunger, holy, humble. This is where we want to live. Spiritual hunger. I love this verse. I just want to read it. It's such a precious, precious verse to me. The Lord's spoken to me prophetically for years through this verse. Isaiah 64, 1 and 2. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. Here's the prophet Isaiah. He's in the middle of a, of a season of backsliding in Israel, and he's asking God to step down. The hunger here is in the intercession of the prophet. When you have a hungry heart and you're in recognition that there's more, you'll continue to cry out, God, come. God, move in power. God, step down. Now, I want to speak to you who's pursued God. Maybe some of you for years. Maybe what I'm saying is like, I remember those good old revival messages. And I've been there and I've prayed those prayers. And yeah, that's a good thing. But there's that, that deal where you've kind of pulled up. Here's the thing. I have watched for 20 years people get excited about a move of the Spirit of God pursue God. Some touch a move of the Spirit, some don't. But what happens is that pursuit and, and that, that press towards God in righteousness, that hunger for God, oftentimes it gives way to weariness. And people will, because they get weary, they'll just stop. They'll just settle. They'll just, they'll just back down. And they'll just think, well, it's for another generation, for another time and place. Let me just, you know, let me just, I'll just be a good person. I, you know, I'll just still love Jesus. But I, just to, to live so much with my heart out there, hungry for God like that, that's just, that's just so messy, so difficult. I, I can't, you know, continue to sustain that. And I've watched passionate Christians settle into normal Western lifestyles. They've lived hungry for a season, but they've just stopped their pursuit. Galatians 6, it says this. It says, you will reap if you don't grow weary. If you don't give in to the weariness, you will reap in due season, and it goes, if you do not quit. If you won't quit, you will experience the very thing that God put in your heart to pursue him for. If you don't quit. I'll just tell you, I feel so trapped by God. Because there is such a desire that he put inside me. This is the sovereign thing he did to me 20 years ago that I still haven't scratched the itch for. I've never seen with my eyes the things I've seen in my heart. And man, on the inside, it's just as real to me today as it was 20 years ago, as it 
20-year-old, newly saved, dreaming about what it could look like if revival came in our generation. It's just as real to me today, except for the need is more severe. And here's what happens. People pursue, they get weary, and what happens is they, they give into complacency. Don't let weariness cause you to give into complacency, cause you to settle for normalcy. And don't ever build a theology based on your lack of attainment. Do you know what I'm saying? Don't ever let the fact that you haven't attained the blessing then dictate to you what you will believe. Is it in the scripture? Are the encouragements in the Bible? Does he say times of refreshing or doesn't he? Does he say he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh or doesn't he? It doesn't matter if you've seen it with your eyes. If it's written here, you've reason to believe it with your heart. And if you believe it there, you've got reason to pursue it for your life. And I feel so trapped by God. And I feel like part of what my job in life is to do is to infect people with what I've been trapped with. And you wake up tomorrow morning and go, oh, I need God. We need revival. That's my greatest desire. I want a bunch of people trapped with me. <laughs> can't get out of this. Just can't get out of this. Can't sidestep this thing. Guys, if, you don't, if you're not going after revival, what are you going after? What are you going to go after? More, more blessing? fatter bank account, a better job? What are you going to go after? If it's not God's presence taking over, what are you going after? Oh, I'm hungry. In those days, those moments when I feel dry and I feel dull and I, my vision's blurry, man, and I feel satisfied, I go, oh, God, no, 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 no. I don't want to be lulled to sleep by the lullaby of this world. It's telling me just to settle down. Why don't you just be normal, man? Why you got to pray all day? Why don't you just be normal? Look, to me, what's normal is a supernatural God being big. That's what I want. And man, that compelling desire on the inside, it just, it, it just doesn't go away. It's, a, it's a, an equipment of grace in my heart. And whenever I'm fat and slow and dull, the Lord, I'm talking about spiritually, he just, man, he, he just tweaks that thing on the inside. And gosh, I just can't get out of it. I pray you can't get out of it. Hunger is, is expressed through pursuit and obedience, prayer, worship, obeying God, studying the word, preaching the gospel. This is how we express hunger. It's all the simple stuff. It's all the stuff you know. Worship, prayer, studying the word, preaching the gospel, obeying the word, obeying the Holy Spirit. What if everybody did that together? What would happen? What would the church look like? We just quit playing our Christian games, all our Christianese. We just said, no, I'm going to worship Jesus. I'm going to intercede. I'm going to ask God for breakthrough. I'm going to study this Bible. I'm going to obey what it says. And when the Holy Spirit gives me a leading, I'm going to follow it. I'm going to try to be obedient. And I'm going to preach the gospel whenever I get a chance. What if we all live that way? I'll tell you what. We'd be positioning ourselves for a time of refreshing. That's what I want to do. I want to live like that. There's a kingdom principle, the hungry get filled. 
The hungry get filled. When you leave here, you're probably hungry right now. You're probably going to go get filled. If you're not hungry, you won't get filled. If you are hungry, you'll go get filled. And by tomorrow morning, you'll definitely be hungry and you'll definitely get, be getting filled. You'll be eating something because you're hungry. Hungry people get filled. That's how it goes. It's a kingdom principle. The scripture says in Luke 1, he's filled the hungry with good things. He has filled them with good things. The hungry get filled. If you'll live a life of hunger, of desire, you will be filled. That's how I want to live. I'm not talking about striving in the flesh or or, or works of religion. I'm just talking about a, a desire for Jesus you know, one of the reasons, it really, it is the reason. The reason why I want revival isn't even for the souls. I mean, I want the souls. I want the salvations. I want the healings. I want the miracles. But you know why I want revival? Because in revival, he's this close. He's so near. I want revival because God steps down. Because God draws near. And I'm going to preach like this. If I ever stop preaching like this, come and put your finger in my chest and go, Humphrey, what's wrong with you? You've lost your edge. I want to preach like this to the day I die. Pursuant of Jesus, living a life of pursuit. You get one life. You get 70 years to live a certain way. What what are you going to do with it? What are you going to have to show for this life? Oh, I want a life of pursuit. Secondly is holiness. I'll just read it. Some of y'all have been waiting for this verse. This is the revival verse everybody preaches from. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Here's the deal. We have got to be able to call sin, sin. Sexual immorality is sin. I don't care if it's fornication, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality. I don't care what it is. If the Bible calls it sin, it is sin. We're going to continue to call it sin. We're not going to judge sinners. We're going to love sinners. We want to help sinners. We want to help them on the way out of their sin. But we are not going to bend to a culture that's putting pressure on the church and trying to use politically uh, political correctness to get us to curtail our gospel. No, Jesus Christ came to set sinners free. That's what this thing is about. You can be free through the power of the cross. The blood of Jesus can set you free. You don't have to have issues. You can be set free. I want freedom. I want freedom on my heart. I want freedom for you. I want freedom for that lost guy. You know what? I know what it's like to be bound in sin. I know what it's like to be strangled by by drugs and addictions and perversions. And I know what it's like to have the power of Jesus to set me free. So when I wake up in the morning, my heart, it's alive. I know what that's like. I'm not going to just bow down to the pressure of society and, oh, you're born that way. We're all born that way, gang. We're all born as sinners, every last one of us. We need deliverance from the jaws of sin that's trying to destroy us. We need the power of the gospel to set us free. Here's the deal. If the church will repent of dead works and turn from her wicked ways, refreshing will come to the church. And when that happens, conviction comes on the society. But when the church bends to a culture that's sin sick, it's dull and no conviction happens in the earth. If we'll repent, it will bring refreshing 
which will bring, bring repentance. Repentance begets refreshing, which begets repentance. Turn from our wicked ways. Turn from our doubtful things. Turn from figuring out how close to the line can we live. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about falling is so in love with Jesus. Radically in love with Jesus. Just Jesus, I just want you. I don't want anything else. And I don't want to even get close to the line. I don't want anything in the way. I just want you. I just want you. He says, draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. I'm talking about the holiness that's birthed out of a heart of intimacy. It doesn't want anything to get in the way. I put this in here because Evan Roberts is one of my heroes. <laughs> He's the principal figure of the Welsh Revival in 1904. Four simple things. His four principles of revival. It sparked a revival in their nation that saw 100% salvations within a two-year period of time. 100,000 born again in six months. Four principles. His first meeting, they had 18 people at it. Four, his four-point message. Confess all known sin. Search out all secret or doubtful things. Confess Jesus openly and pledge to fully obey the Holy Spirit. If everybody did that, we would have a time of refreshing. It's as simple as that. All known sin, no doubtful things. Confess Jesus openly. Pledge to obey the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. Last, humility. I'm just realizing personally, I need greater grace on my life, which means I need greater measures of humility. And this is it. Will we humble ourselves enough to say, God, we just need you. We just need you. I don't want tidy, fits perfectly in a box church. I want God. I guarantee you, if God shows up in this room, it's not going to look pretty, gang. It's going to look all sorts of crazy. And his fire is going to draw all sorts of crazy stuff. Flies and bugs get drawn to the light. That's just how it is. But I way rather have fire with a few bugs than no fire in a tidy box full of dead bones. Come on, man. I'm just in that place where I'm going, God, help. Help. We can't do this. We can't go without you. We need you. I love this, Isaiah 57. It's such a great verse. Directly from the lips of the Father. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That broken heart of humility, he'll never despise it. And he abides in the midst of a humble, contrite people. This is where we have to live. I give you two points on how humility is expressed. Number one, it's expressed in our need for grace. I'm just in this place right now. I'm going, God, I can't take another step unless grace enables my foot to move. I can't breathe. I can't think. 
I can't look. I can't eat. I can't do anything unless your grace helps right now. There's, there's not anywhere else for me to go except for by grace. I've hit my ceiling. I've, I've done this a thousand times. I've hit the wall, Lord. Pick up this shambles. If you want it to move forward, let's just go put me in the grace wagon. It's the grace wagon. <laughs> I swear, I, I feel that right now. I don't need a crutch. I don't need a stretcher. I need an ambulance. Grace ambulance just to carry me, like really. We need grace, grace to be saved, grace to live, grace to speak, grace to do everything, grace to give, grace to lay our lives down, grace to humble ourselves so we can get more grace. We need grace. The greatest thing the house of prayer needs right now, grace of God. When Zerubbabel said he was going to build the house of prayer, he said, great, he, I'm going to bring the, the capstone forth, the finishing stone. The Lord goes, I'll bring it forth. I'll finish the work here. With what? Shouts of grace. Grace, because it's only by grace. One trophy in the trophy case at, at the end, when we all stand before the Lord, one trophy in the trophy case to the praise of the glory of his grace. We don't get there on our own. We don't get there by our own strength. Not by might, not by, by power, but by my spirit, the spirit of grace. This is where we have to live. We've got to confess our need of God, our need for grace. And then that second thing is that we, we have to live with the deepest desire for Jesus to get, to get all the glory. For Jesus to receive all the glory due him. I'll just tell you guys, just being honest, it trembles, it puts a tremble in my heart that much of what I do is stand in front of crowds who listen to me speak. You want a scary thing on your resume at the judgment seat? I mean, I'm just being honest. That, is, that puts a tremble in me. And I, I, I want to do this as an act of worship and worship alone. I'd never want to uh, use my role as a means to get uh, the praise of men. I'm just a regular guy who's trying to be a good dad and a good husband and fulfill my role in the kingdom of God. Here's what I want you to get. You've got a role, you've got a role, you've got a role, you've got a role, I've got a role. We're all on the same team. We're all in this together. There's one star in the kingdom of God. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Let's all go for his glory. Let's all go for his fame. Let's all go for his stardom. Let's all go after that together. Oh, man. I just want people to connect to him. Let's all live that way. It doesn't matter what our job description is. What our role is, is it's really immaterial. Just do your job in the kingdom, and Jesus gets all the fame. Oh, let Jesus have all the fame. He's the only one worthy of the glory anyway. That he would get all the glory. That he would get the right inheritance of the nations the fathers promised him. That we would live for his pleasure and his pleasure alone. Oh, beloved, that we could be this kind of people. When I'm talking about contending for revival as a value, these are the things I'm talking about. Living hungry for God. Living, living holy and not, not playing a game. Humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Jesus received the praise due him, the glory due him. 
Oh, beloved, that we would be this kind of a people. This is the value that we'd live with. (sighs) Last thought. Without humility, a person will not pursue God. They will imagine themselves to be full all the while they're in great need. Much like the church in Laodicea. We want the fire of God. We don't want to live lukewarm. Humble ourselves under his mighty hand. And let him make of us whatever his dream is. Amen.